Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Everybody, it's shared history. Take a look, it's in a book, the history rainbow. Oh my goodness. It's the middle of Pride, happy Pride Rainbow. Yeah. And we're doing history, and it's our season finale. Natalie, wow. And it's a topic that involves like stories within stories. So take a look, it is in a book. Exactly. It all connects. Oh my goodness. Yeah, this is our season four finale, and that simultaneously seems very appropriate and like, what? Wild. Wild. How, how are we here? Uh, at the time that this is airing, we will have just reached two years since the podcast originally dropped. Not since we happy, started recording. but Happy birthday, listeners. Mm-hmm. Right? We're doing it. It's our two-year anniversary. We made that, it. Yeah, that's... uh. Wait, one year is paper. I think two years <laughs> is cotton. Three is leather. Four, okay. Oh, man, I can't wait till leather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah oh my goodness halfway there get spicy uh <laughs> speaking of spice i forgot to ask our guest how she wanted to be introduced so we're just gonna go for it we have one of our dearest friends do you have people that you've gotten even closer to throughout the pandemic other than obviously me because <laughs> you see me every week because for me, uh, this person is one of them. I talk to this beautiful human being every single week. She's an amazing and hilarious improviser. She's also a very talented actress. She also can play flute and likes to read books and talk about books with me. It's our Lord and Savior, Tara Egan. Wow, that was special. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that, I mean, I, I love to have a title. My name was too short as a kid to have nicknames, so, like, a title is even better. I feel like you oh, have nicknames, though, like, now. Um, probably. Although they're not shorter. I mean, they're not any shorter no, than your name. No, they're never shorter. My name is Tara. It's four letters. My full name, Tara, I mean, without my middle name, <laughs> is eight letters long. So I'm... There's not a lot of room in there. Easy breathe. Yeah. I got my first nickname at 31 years old, and it added like seven letters to my name. <laughs> Just now, people have started calling me casserole. And I'm like, really? There's so many. Cassiopeia, casserole, cast and crew. Cascada. Um, cas oh, yeah. That, like, so many right there. Every time we touch, I, I get, get this, this feeling. And every time we cast, I swear. <laughs> I want a shirt that says, every time we cast, I swear I can fly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, misheard lyrics. This is the actual lyric the whole time. This it is was. what we came to talk about today. That song is also longer than you remember it. I did it uh, uh, for karaoke at a wedding reception, oh, which is a sentence in general that I'm sorry that I had to say. Uh, but I'm not sorry that I did Cascada. Uh, 
Don't you hate when you pick your karaoke song and you're like, oh, this didn't hit like I thought it would. I have just a tendency of being like, this will be great. And then being like, this is a lot longer than I thought it was. Oh, Uh, That's why I only ever do Hold On by Wilson Phillips. It is the perfect length song. It's the perfect length. I have like my choreography I do. I do crowd work. Like I know how to do the song and work it well. The, the, like the bridge is great. There's that killer drum solo. You get the whole audience to clap with you. And it's uplifting. It's not a song about, I don't know what I'm all. I feel like all my other go-to karaoke songs are like, she don't need no man or like really angry breakup songs. Like Mm. before he cheats or you ought to know. That's a good one. Uh, Or anything by Celine Dion is too long yeah that's what I was waiting for okay it's too long maybe but it's an experience for everyone involved I agree it's the same with meatloaf songs it's like you get so long (laughs) you can be there a while but like if you get somebody to do both gets like I will only do the lady part of uh paradise by the dashboard light I'm look always looking for my meatloaf (laughs) you know me I'll I'll be your meatloaf any day you're my casserole. Yeah. Should I leave? Oh, me <laughs> Tara, no. Tara, stay. stay. Tara, Tara, tell us, like, okay, I know that you love history because basically the moment Cass and I started this podcast, you were like, so when can I come on? <laughs> so, but like, Now. What, the answer general, is now. The, the answer is now. The future is now. What is your, like, relationship? What's your relationship status with history? Oh, boy. Is it complicated? Um, well, goodness gracious. Is it complicated? I, I, let's see. Um, one of my favorite classes that I got a music degree, but one of my favorite classes that I took in college was history of disease and medicine. Um, Whoa. It was a cool freaking class. It was amazing. It started from, it literally started from when civilization, like the, the three B's, the beer, the bread and bacon or beef. What is it? Beef um brandy or bread anyway the three b's of and below because people settled down so disease started because of that it and amazing anyway <laughs> i had a, i had a, a I very excited time as i don't know a kid i read about ebola and i was like this is bananas let's <laughs> learn more about this well haven't you and i talked about didn't we both haven't we talked speaking of us talking about books to each other we've talked about the book yellow fever whatever right i feel like we have Oh, sorry. Oh, it's just called it the... Fever 1793. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's about yellow fever. The cover's got like a picture of like a girl's eye and it's like yellow. Anyway. I remember this. I remember this. This was in Mrs. Logan's library in my elementary school. Everyone take a Shout drink. Out. Teacher Shout name out drop. Mrs. Logan. <laughs> it's always fun when it's not me mentioning a, a teacher. It's a rare occurrence. Oh, I've got I've got loads of them to <laughs> yeah, Everyone's about to get wasted if they're playing the drinking game. Star's got teachers. Oh. Bur, bur, bur. My teacher shaped me. What's going on? What? Yeah. I believe she believed that children were our future yeah. and she taught them well so they could lead the way. Anyway, um <laughs> another great karaoke song. Another great one. <laughs> so you so you always liked history. Did you always like very focused or like like history of disease is a is a little pretty That's niche. That's niche on, right there. On the, my my elementary school had like an interesting I feel like it was a three-year rotation. I could be wrong. So if anybody's fact-checking me, just know in this moment I could be wrong because I was a child um, (laughs) and I'm remembering back to then. But the three-year rotation that I remember was something along the lines of like one full year devoted to 
people landing in the United States of America and pilgrims. And also we'll speak briefly on Native American history, which I think we I got more of an in-depth Native American history uh, because I grew up in Arizona. So we had act like living history to talk about and and cultural like relevance like that kind of thing yeah as Um, opposed to the midwest where it's like we've pretty much erased that from everything we teach and encounter on a daily basis oops i remember really strongly i remember when we learned about there's a a vocabulary list about in the medieval year we had like a one year is u.s (laughs) intro to u.s history one year is was the medieval year, and then I can't remember what the other one was. But I know that I really didn't learn about world wars until late junior high or high school. I just knew them from movies. There are people who still only know them from movies. This is true. This is true. <laughs> All right. So you're you're locked. You're loaded. You're on that history train. You like things. Oh, historical fiction also. I don't know if we remember every like childhood book of our not every but so many childhood books of our childhood were historical fiction books and they're all great oh. i mean F- fever 1793 historical mm-hmm. fiction getting king arthur's court <laughs> that's a true story that's actually nonfiction. that's oh, a memoir sorry. i got that in the wrong section yeah. that's a that's a that's a memoir, a, that's a memoir. <laughs> it was written by the kid in king arthur's court uh wishbone uh, wishbone <laughs> <laughs> the entire Wishbone catalog, historical Thank fiction. You. Renaissance fairs in general. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got us stoked about history. Yeah, and turkey legs. Taylor, my girlfriend started watching Outlander for like the first time ever oh during God. pandemic. And like first episode, she was just like... It's a documentary. She was like not into it. She's just like, this is so corny. Like when the fuck is Wishbone going to come out? I feel like this is just like... A- I feel like at any moment, Wishbone's going to come out and kill me like, well, this is what happened. <laughs> now have to do I will only we be ended up getting into it. They have to do a lot of like bringing you into the world because there's so much going on. There is a lot. Also, now I'm just thinking like adult Wishbone, adult wishbone. series. Not 100% like adult percent like. Adult Wishbone. Like. <laughs> wishbone. No, yeah. no, Cass. No, no, no. Cass. no. Move on, move on, All move right. on. Cass is going to go into a timeout. <laughs> and I, uh, I I, wanted to, you know, when but a finale should we start a, a new segment? Um, I want to ask our guests and then also we can share. So history, a lot of the basis of history is uh people claiming that they discovered shit that somebody else had already discovered sorry a lot of the history books that we studied from uh are uh an old white man saying that he discovered something that somebody else had already discovered um like maybe um an entire continent give or take so with that in mind uh what i what's something that you have discovered lately recently tara maybe in the last week or so that you just really love and enjoy have you ever heard of Dairy Girls on Netflix? Um. <laughs> oh, yes. I have. It's not about ice cream and creamy, delicious <laughs> treats. No. no, no, it's not. It's no. better. It's so much better than that. It's been on my list for a hundred years, you know, since it came out. A hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just so good. It's even better than I could possibly have expected. And it's history. And it's and it's history. It's history that we don't really hear about. We don't. What is it called? The orange. Orange Revolution. No. Orange Revolution. That's what I wanted to say, but then yeah. I wasn't sure. 
It's set in the 1980s in Northern Ireland, Derry, and it talks a lot about the difficulties between Ireland and England, and it's hilarious. And like one of the Irish girl's cousin comes to live with them and he's English and they're like, we were going to send him to the boys' school, but we thought that they'd kill him. So he's now at the old girls' school. <laughs> and the accents are just amazing throughout. They're just God. so good. It's so good. I love it. The and it's is not the like best. It's 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 teenagers, so it's a very adolescent like what what kids care about even while all of this mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. stuff is happening right next to them. They're like, I want to find hot date person. Where's yeah. my hot date person? I don't care about the army outside of my school bus. No, which is on. kind of an interesting take because like yeah, when you're a kid, horrible stuff's going on and you're aware of it, but you're also concerned about kid stuff. So mm-hmm. that like allows the audience to laugh a bit too like yeah. oh there's horrible things going on but we're in these kids teenage world i love it well it's been on my list for a while too and i mean after that glowing review i'm gonna bump it bump it up that list five I, stars i saw i watched like a trailer for it one of my one of my really good friends loves that show and i watched like a trailer and my first thought was this is a show that my mom would need subtitles for oh 100 um, and i would I, and honestly i would understand it more than other shows that my mother uses subtitles for. So, uh, Cass, uh, what what have you discovered? What are you claiming as your own? Okay, so I'm actually glad that you introduced this brand new segment in the finale of season four because I was going to ask you before if I could plug this because I love it so much. It's a podcast, brand spanking new, called Decommentaries. Hosted by the one, the two and only Allie Ring and Val Agnew, who are amazing. We love, we stand. And basically, they watch every single Disney Channel original movie and then they do an analysis of it and they do it in order. So, like, they start with under wraps and then they go through like Brink and all of them. And it's hilarious. It's delightful. And it is also history. It is our history, is. our mm-hmm. history of the 90s and bad haircuts and weird denim and crushes. And I know that they just recently did the 13th year and I was like, a classic. I, I was about to, to ask, how are, how are they finding all of these old decoms? But I guess I they're all on Disney Plus. Plus. Yeah, this is except I think under wraps isn't or was not. I don't know how they found it. I'm sure somebody has, I, we all know somebody who's way, way, way obsessed with Disney and like has the VHSs still. I was going to say, I wouldn't be surprised if one or both of them have them on VHS. My discovery is less exciting. Um, and also, uh, is very white, but I just, just going to say it. And Terry Girls. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. The there's a grocery store by my office that I always forget I actually really like. It's the Tony's Fresh Market, and they always have like the best produce. And I today, for the first time, bought lychee that are still like full lychee. And so I had to today I learned to how to peel lychee, and discovered the sensory overload and enjoyment. Yeah. of peeling lychee because you kind of feel like you're peeling an eyeball or like you're peeling a grape or both and i um i i now like i knew i liked lychee i'd only ever really had it in like teas before or like ice creams i stand lychee can yes. i can i change my discovery answer because did you just today discover i discovered was... lychee <laughs> 
I just Googled it. Whoa, I, that is wild. Their texture is like, I don't think I've ever had anything else that's like that. <laughs> it's so good. And I, you genuinely, you feel like a little squirrel when you're eating it because you peel it and then you can like, you eat around the pit and the pit looks like a, a kidney bean. I had never like, I didn't know that lychee had, had pits and they look like a kidney bean. So. What do you do with the outside? That fuzzy shit is scary. It's very thin actually. And it's spiky. It's not fuzzy. And it's, uh, but it, it's very thin. So it actually peels off really easily. It's, you, you feel like you're peeling it's a grape. Pretty. It doesn't hurt you unless it's like very, very, very dry. And then it's probably too late. Probably should eat it. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Noted. Well, great. I'm glad that we discovered things. Yay! Now go, go Google long guns and... Re starts with an R. There are cousins of lychees, and people have very strong opinions about which one is best. But lychees, I think, are the most popular in our area. Yeah, gotta catch them all. I'm gonna find them all, and I'm gonna eat them 100%. all. Hundred percent. Cool. I'm glad that we discovered things, and that now we can be in the history books. But we're going to jump into into history for our classic finale format of uh we we keep calling it a waterfall it's really a relay but we're gonna keep calling it a waterfall it's where one of us starts a story hands it off like in a relay <laughs> to the next person yeah i think we might need to change this uh well, we're just been calling it a waterfall it. for four seasons because while one of us talks the other has to finish a beer until we're done <laughs> the whole oh, time no. yeah the whole time you're drinking while the Oof. other people are talking um tara do you want to tell everybody what topic you have chosen for us for today yes i do so i am very excited about the 1001 nights aka arabian nights i don't know why i always volunteer to go first in uh the history relay it's like you you give good groundwork you lay good groundwork do i though it's like i feel like i'm like Okay, let me start way back in time where I can really fuck shit up. Hey, who's going to correct you? Oh, yeah. Uh, But here we are. And actually, I'm not really going to talk much about 1001 Nights. I'm going to talk more just generally about Arabic folk tales. Um, Because we're going to focus on the one in particular that we all know. Even if you don't think that you know it, you know it. You know it. I'm telling you. You know it. Trust us. It knows you. It yes. <laughs> the Cass. Cass's face. Cass's face is just like extra shocked. It's uh, the podca- truth. Podcasting is a visual medium, uh, <laughs> but you'll just have to trust us. You have to just describe the face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we get there, before we get to the story that we all know, let's hop on the magic school bus real quick. Uh, because this frizzle is going to get you up to speed. It's a very high level overview slash background on Arabic folk tales. Take or... us there, Wishbone. Oh my God, a team up? A frizzle and Wishbone <gasps> team up? I'm, I'm down. And the Liz would absolutely hate Wishbone. <gasps> oh, for sure. Uh, but there'd also be some underlying sexual tension <gasps> between them. And they get married. Oh, <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. <laughs> you uh, just wrote a fan fiction. <laughs> pretty much my whole life. Um, so some high-level background on Arabic folktales or Arabic epic literature. S- like many, many folktales and legends, a lot of these stories are based on real events and historical figures. Not unlike uh, from, oh, we're pulling it all together from our first episode of the season. Not unlike Lady True. Uh, or Lady Ju, depending on which pronunciation you're using, who was, by all accounts, 
an actual historical human being who existed and who was badass, but uh, who has been posthumously uh, kind of deified in the mis- mystif- mystified? No mythologized there's the word there it is we got there (laughs) so a lot of them are based on real events historical figures by modern definition for the class lore is a category of culture um i had this really basically my main source for all of i'm gonna talk about is this amazing article that i found that like academic article article that's um a lot of pages long but really interesting and it's called Folklore of the Arab World by Hassan El Shami um, of Indiana University. So that I'm going to actually just read some of this whole defining paragraph verbatim from this article because uh, I liked it. It is distinguishable from the rest of cultural phenomena by being traditional and formulistic. It is traditional in that it has continuity in both time and space, i.e. being transgenerational and communal. It is formulistic in that its phenomena are patterned combinations of form, content, etc. Thus, whatever culture may be, folklore is that in it. Thus, whatever culture may be, folklore is that in addition to the requirements of traditionality and formularization. No one is lore free, which I thought was a very interesting way to put it. Yeah. But so for a while, like there, there was kind of the idea that uh, for something to qualify as folklore, we have to like not know who wrote it. Like anonymity of the origin or the author was like a defining requirement. And while I love a spicy mystery, that is no longer considered a defining requirement. It's more of just those two things of like tradition and formula and just spanning time. We can know we can know or have a hypothesis about who wrote it now. That's fine. Uh, in a further definition, unpacks it as saying that like folklore is human behavior. So whether it's a story that is utilitarian, um, aimed at satisfying our like needs of food, shelter, wellness, or understanding thereof, or artistic and helping us satisfy our needs or expression of emotions like love, hate, fear, etc., that folklore is inherently human behavior. I also think that's just really interesting that we're gonna that we're focusing on a story from from Arabic culture because the Arab world is category is like characterized by being diverse, uh, which I don't think that the quote unquote Arab world has clear geographic boundaries at all. Now I think it's based on who speaks Arabic, which as their as their like national language which Mm -hmm. is most of north africa the middle east and then that's about it so as far as the arab world now it's the yeah the arab speaking world the arab speaking world exactly geographical boundary quote unquote yeah but i think it used to be persia persia was like Mm -hmm. a quote unquote well it was arabia for a while the silk road like all of (laughs) the persian empire and then surrounding I mean, the Persian Empire was huge, too. Well, the per- Persian Empire, like, dipped into all of the modern-day... Northern like, Africa, that, yeah, that's Western hard to Asia. Yeah. Yeah, it's more of that the Arab world is, like, characterized by, like, the language now. And, mm-hmm. and it's the Arab-speaking world. Because there is, like, the full... There's a full spectrum in what is considered, quote-unquote, the Arab world. There's, like, a full spectrum of ethnic, linguistic, and, re- like, religious groups. 
all living by si- side by side, intermingling, but not like assimilating into one single entity or like monolithic cult, quote unquote, culture. Um, and so because of that, I, th- I think there's a bunch of differing opinions or explanations for like the development of interest in folklore from the Arabic world. There's uh, the, there's like four kind of like m- main major stages of Arabic folklore that in this article the he unpacks they unpack I don't actually know they unpack one is the development or of interest in folklore with reference to the early Islamic period one is within the relationship of like the age of the spread of Islam and the Arabic language the other is an emergence of short-lived trends towards objectivity and then the last is becoming aware of folklore as like a discipline, an academic discipline in Europe and the United States. So when people began to actually study and formalize the study of folklore as an area of academia, they were like, great, also we'll pay attention to this region because good shit comes out of this region. <laughs> so uh, there's there's one, um, if you follow, if you focus on like the emergence of the short-lived trend towards objectivity, this is where one of my sources said that this camp kind of acknowledges uh, Basrait al Jaiz as the first folklorist. Uh, he would have been 9th century CE. I know we're all trying to be BCE CE girls. He would be he'd be 9th century CE. So that's like smack dab in the middle of the golden age of yeah, Islamic golden age. The Islamic golden age, which is the superior. And I'm saying that as somebody who loves the golden age of the Mediterranean, like sorry, Mama Mia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what's? Well, I just wanted, wanted to talk about him really quickly because I just thought that he like he seemed really interesting. He sought to like verify the real histories behind folklore and did like field work. He was trying to like so he'd be like, okay, this one folklore says something about a two-headed viper, so I'm gonna go to like the region that this story comes out of and try to decide if there are two-headed vipers there or like what this what this is actually a what analog for um and he was a so he was the first arab intellectual to present a folk narrative in full in its traditional folk style and dialogue but he was also a rationalist he also was just trying to find any of the facts behind the folklore and he also stands out because he was very responsive to, uh, like, women's rights. Like, he believed, like, females had a right to self-esteem and freedom, uh, that they could be free from the traditional negative stereotypes viewed of women. And he used folk tradition to support these non-Orthodox views. So Love thank it. you. Thank Love you, it. sir. He has this quote that was a bold belief uh, that that is... <laughs> It's a bold belief. It literally just said, the quote is, a woman is of sound religion, sexual honor, and heart, unless motivated by scruples or lust. And this was groundbreaking because he basically was saying women and men are equally subject to the same cultural, societal, and psychological forces and pressures, which was revolutionary because- In what year? This is ninth century CE. But this is revolutionary because, uh, like, honestly, that's that's pretty revolutionary for now. So he was way yeah, ahead of his time. Yeah, basically, <laughs> just like women aren't the weaker sex; like they're they're you're equally subjectable to different Scruples. things. Like 
scruples and lust (laughs) yeah i like there was like i read it was unpacking it a little bit more and it was saying it was particularly like groundbreaking because the and the bible does this too early like early interpretations of the quran basically just say like try to say that like eve was even her daughters were punished more for uh for taking a bite of that apple and that the punishment was basically making them of weaker mind of weaker faith of like weaker honor um and so plus childbirth plus you know yeah Oof. my my high school basic catholic beliefs teacher told us that uh our our menstruation cycles are a punishment for eve's sin that's a healthy way to think about yes. your body wait, wait did you go to catholic school I sure did. Okay, so did I, because I was like, damn, <laughs> this okay, is public school in Arizona. Okay. <laughs> oh, he also used folklore as like an early device in marital counseling. I just, I just thought this, this guy was great. That's wild. But, and unfortunately, despite all of his awesome reports on folk traditions, he was, didn't, like his work didn't generate widespread interest among academia about Arab culture. So what was his name? Basrait Al Jahiz. And that is probably grossly mispronounced, as is as is our way. Um yeah, so yeah. I I think that folklore didn't become an academic discipline until like the nineteen fifties. So and when it did, there weren't in like Western academic circles, there was not a single um publication by an air of like by somebody arabic of arabic folktales or songs uh only like french and german collections included some aspects of arabic folk traditions because and you before you're like oh hey french and germans thanks for recognizing a culture it was because of colonialism it's like let me just ruin this right now (laughs) because colonialism um yeah so that was all I really brought. I just wanted to talk about this guy, and uh, it's so he's around the same time that one one thousand one mm-hmm. nights would have would have been first written down, perhaps. He, so he probably had some kind of like a, maybe a story that he told or heard or retold was in a thousand and one nights or got connected somehow because of the way that the book was the book the way that the stories were were gathered. It was from everyone telling stories everywhere. Yeah, well, and I, when I say that, like, in the 50s or whenever, when uh, more and more folklore was getting published in collections because of, the, like, Grimm Brothers and whatnot, um, when I say that not a single Arab ventured into publishing, there's a few things where they're like, except for a couple who are kind of written off because they were, they have basically been accused of just trying to copy uh, 1001 and just, mm-hmm. like, slide it in there kind of as their own or whatnot. Or, like, do a spinoff? I don't know. I don't know. That's not for me to know. I only had to do... Here's the baton. Here's the history baton. <laughs> Beautiful. It's it's a glittery baton. There's tassels on it for everyone who can't see. If you flip um, it upside down, it goes, ooh. <laughs> and then and Cass is still drinking way. over here in the corner. <laughs> Cass, take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am very excited. So that's a perfect introduction. I, I, I have to say, obviously... Well, not obviously... Um, you can tell from the tone of my voice, I'm half Moroccan, and I was born in Morocco, right, guys? So I'm yeah, gonna... yeah, you can totally hear <laughs> you can it. T- I'm picking right? that up. Timbre. Yes, it's the timbre. They're like, oh, she's that's Rabat, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I have a little bit of um, what is the word? 
uh, I'm biased a little bit toward, um, as we're, as I'm about to say, Arab folktales, the 1001 Nights is from everywhere in, in the Middle East, in South Asia, in North Africa. It's like a collection from all of these different people. But there are a lot of stories that are specifically from different regions. And some of them, I think, I think probably everyone who has any relationship to these stories is like, no, those are mine. Those are, those are my people's stories. Um. <laughs> but Tara's here to tell you, Actually, they're, they're Tara's. Yeah. <laughs> We've all seen Big Fat Greek Wedding, where every word is, is Greek. Actually, everything is Moroccan. And <laughs> here we begin. Uh, <laughs> I once saw an article that was like, oh, everyone says that the first like human came from East Africa. But what if we told you it was from Morocco? And I had like three Moroccan relatives on Facebook being like, yeah, obviously. Like, <laughs> we know. We've been saying this for years. <laughs> but I also was super into mythology and folklore and fables growing up I like we I mean Greek mythology I think was taught in elementary school and middle school and high school it was always something I was very interested yeah in. you always like were at least like reading something like something you would about... like be reading Eurydice or you had to read Lysistrata or something exactly it's it's just a big part of our common culture and then I also had a book of Aesop's fables that I was obsessed with as a kid mm-hmm. so fables and mythology very important to me but one of my favorite books <laughs> as a child was Arab Folk Tales by Ania Bushnak, which I had in paperback and I read it so many times that the spine broke in half and I lost the middle page. One of those. Don't you kind of love that? <laughs> I do. It's a- like, I love a well-worn <laughs> book. It's just, it's like, it means it's getting used. It gets two places on the bookshelf. Instead of one. <laughs> but, um... Ania Bushnak is a Palestinian author, and she is still alive, and she wrote a couple other um, books as well. But Arab Folktales was a, is an anthology of myths and, and fables and folklore from Morocco to Iraq. And so there are a lot of, in the, at the, I remember every story had like which country it came from. It was a lot more modern. It was written in the 80s. Um, so it has more, uh, like, this came from here, and here's the tracking to, like, the source of that information, that kind of thing. But 1001 Nights, as we're going to learn more, I'm sure when we talk, <laughs> pass the baton down, is is such a big part of uh, <laughs> culture. And at least like the Western culture's idea of Arabia in general is totally based on this. And so 1001 Nights, um, you might know it as Arabian Nights. It is basically a collection of stories, just like Arab folktales, but there are a thousand of them. <laughs> You'll know Aladdin from A Thousand and One Nights. You'll know Sinbad. You'll know Alibaba. You'll know a lot of random things. Again, Cass, you're going to take this. But uh, it was all all these different stories brought together during the Islamic Golden Age, compiled in Arabic. Um, and we love the Islamic Golden Age. We chatted about this right now. But are you ready for some Arabic? <laughs> I'm not very good. But here we go. Al-Asir al-Dahabi lil-Islam. Last word, Islam. Because Islamic Golden Age. Um, very exciting time to be alive <laughs> in general but that was isn't it it's a uh, like 8th century ce to like 13th mm-hmm. exactly okay. yeah and it was it's the abbasid caliphate so that's the third caliphate to succeed muhammad peace be upon him um which and it was centered around the world's largest city at the time baghdad um which fun fact i had no idea <laughs> um and that's we got a lot of things out of that 
The Islamic Golden Age brought us such treasures as astrolabes and the oud, and possibly the ceremonial marching military band, which means that high school marching bands wouldn't have happened without the Islamic Golden Age. Hot take. <laughs> Thank you for giving us American pie. Thank you for. Coming. I wouldn't have a job without that. That's I true. Or we sell band instruments and teach band music and marching <laughs> band stuff. Tell me that the Islamic Golden Age is responsible for animation, and I will also say that I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> I'm sure somehow, I mean, we could make the connection. They possibly did magnifying glasses and possibly paper mills. We say possibly because not everything was written down, and they did a lot of, like, the paper mills were... The people who made paper also made the paper while they worked in a mill. So did they invent paper mills? Possibly. Huge thing. I don't know if you've heard about algebra. Tell algebra. me more. <laughs> algebra. Ever heard of it? We took math and put letters in it. Yeah. Ooh. Wasn't that, uh... And I can't remember. Avicenna? I mean, he didn't invent algebra. He didn't invent algebra, but I feel like we talked about, like... We had an episode about Avicenna, and he was, uh... He was, like, a mathematician. He was a scientist. He was he was a all-around kind of guy. Yeah. I think, I think it's more of... It was, like compiled into one thing that you can say is algebra like and made more understandable for everybody there's a <laughs> lot of things that we can thank the islamic golden age for yeah um they did yeah they saved a lot of classical works in the islamic golden age meanwhile in, over in like Alexandria. greece and italy we were just like <laughs> fucking burning them all the time mm -hmm. set well, that shit on fire do exactly i mean they did exactly what they did in alexandria which is they took a lot of books and or works or stories and translated and transcribed them all into Arabic. So they had multiple copies and that library still stands questionably. That's actually, I'm not sure if that's true. Which library would that be? The House of Wisdom. Good name. That's Great Google. name for a library. I mean, like I trust, no. I will, I would gladly have a card to that library. Mm -hmm. Oh no. Are they it's on the Libby in, app? It's all in past tense. Absolutely, it's not oh, still here, but no. but it doesn't have as big of a um, sad known history as the Library of Alexandria. So I think it probably didn't have as as tra tragic of an ending. They were able to get most of it out. I hope so. Um, it sounds like people had historians have um, argued ideas about what the House of Wisdom, like if it was a library for just fancy people, or if it was a formal academy, or this that. Anyway, <laughs> House of Wisdom. Hey, Nat, can we make this quick? I have to go check on my sponge. Your sponge? Ugh, you've been binging Bake Off again, haven't you? Four words. Paul Hollywood Soggy Bottom. Okay, well, when you're done with Amateur Hour, the adults will be over here ordering cakes from the pros at ECBG Cake Studio, because they make specialty cakes for all occasions. We're talking custom birthday cakes, we're talking jaw-dropping wedding cake masterpieces. We're talking Paul Hollywood just shook my hand, I deserve a cake cakes. ECBG Cake Studio, you say? Yes, and if you insist on trying to perfect your sponge, they also offer online baking classes. So follow at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or visit their website, ecbgstudio.com. Islamic Golden Age, a magical time, also the time that the stories of 1001 Nights began to be put together into a book for the first time. 
So it is, the stories all come from centuries and centuries worth of stories from West and Central and South Asia and North Africa. And, and they trace the roots back to medieval and ancient, like Arabic and Egyptian and Persian and Mesopotamian, like the, the beginning of stories. Um, and a lot of stories that became part of 1001 Nights were also the popular stories at the time in the Abbasid Caliphate. So that it's, it's half, half like very, very ancient stories and half pop culture of that time. We love, we love a good 8th century pop culture reference. What would that be like now? Like half mm-hmm. of it ancient history and half of it like People magazine? Yeah, exactly. It's maybe same, book. same quality of content as well, I think. No. Celebrities, but. they're just like us. <laughs> Islamic celebrities, they're just like us. Yeah, there's lots of pictures of um, Islamic celebrities from the 9th century. Wearing the same things. <laughs> yeah, very embarrassing Wearing to wear the same, the same piece of clothing more than once. Yep, you have to vote on who wore it best. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 1001 stories in particular started as uh, a collection of what, what historians think is it started as a collection of stories in Persia. Um, and this collection of stories was based on an Indian storytelling tradition. So it's already, it's like la- already layers. It, this is a parfait, okay? This is lasagna. This is... A magical many This is layered. a lasagna parfait. Yes. <laughs> we love a lasagna parfait. Who doesn't? It's an onion. It's Shrek. We, <laughs> um, <laughs> so it started, it's Persian story collected based on Indian storytelling because a lot of the storytelling of the time, in particular the Panchatantra, was a collection of like animal fables in verse and prose that were frame stories. Um, and that was, that's... The big thing of uh, 1001 Nights is that it is a frame story, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but that came from uh, the, pan- the Panchatantra Sanskrit stories. Then, let's, let's go, let's deep dive <laughs> into the little timeline of the nights, as, as cool people call it, the nights. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to call it the nights. I don't know if I'm cool enough. You're cool, kid. I can call it that. Okay, good. I just that was just me digging. Hey, listeners, write in and let us know if Tara's cool enough. How cool you think I sound based on my voice? That's clearly Moroccan. So we have Hazar Afsan, which is the Persian origin of the books. Um, One of the very oldest manuscript fragments that they have is from Syria. There's a couple of handwritten pages. They did not have 1,000 stories to begin with. Um, At the at the beginning. The, the stories, 1,001 is just like a really attractive number. And I think that was just kind of the idea of like, oh, that's a huge number. And it just means kind of endless, like an endless amount of stories. Kind of like how Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. Are there not 10,000 lakes? I don't know. I feel like they're just like, let's just pick a really big number, eh? Oh, okay. Yeah. No one's going to count and check I our mean, math. I don't think there's 10,000. But I also, I made that up. To. I mean, I don't know that that's right. <laughs> I feel but right too. just trying to I'm, just I'm trying shocked. to bring Minnesota into the world of Good. the nights. <laughs> the nights. Um, <laughs> well, by the time so 12th century, there was a the first time that it was called the Thousand and One Nights in its final form of title. Uh, there was a copy that was lent from a Jewish bookseller to someone in Cairo, and somebody heard about it. This kind of thing. That was the first time it was ever called the Thousand and One Nights. And one two centuries later, um, it it appears in Paris, and there, there are 300 stories in it. So nowhere near a thousand. 
But then it just keeps getting added and added and added. Basically, it started, like I said, Syria and India. We have these, um, when it was, tra- when it was uh, collected in the Islamic Golden Age, we had the uh, stories of the time added in. Parfait. And then it comes over to Europe and... <laughs> When it's after it's the 300 tales in 1704, Antoine Gaillard made a French translation, and it's the first European version of the Knights. And this added a lot. Uh, he added basically, I think Antoine, I don't know him personally, but I think he kind of had a had like, oh, these are all vaguely Middle Eastern stories. We'll put them all together. That's good. That's good. I'll add this to a thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which throw them in. <laughs> throw fine but without him doing that we wouldn't have aladdin or alibaba and the 40 thieves so kind of (laughs) i'll allow okay we thank you thank you for doing that um he heard alibaba and aladdin from a syrian storyteller hana diab very exciting but it was le mille et une nuit very french antoine but all of these stories uh when they met kind of the european mainstream were not necessarily acceptable (laughs) to the European mainstream. So, of course, as soon as possible, there was a... What is is the word that I just learned today? Yes. A boldlerization. Have you ever heard this word? No, what is that? Okay, everyone. B-O-W-D-L-E-R. Boldlerization. It's a form of censorship that involves purging anything deemed noxious or offensive from an artistic work. And the French were doing this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, no. Don't you worry. It was the English. Okay, that sounds right. Of course. (laughs) So this is the vanilla yogurt layer. This is the vanilla yogurt layer. Exactly. Berry potato. (laughs) Who put mashed potatoes in my parfait? (laughs) We, the French the French added all of these stories. We had a few more. This was also around the same time. Um, there was an Egyptian version that came out that there are no more surviving it, copies of this edition. Um, and it's just spoken about uh, called the Hermann Zotenberg's Egyptian Recension. Um, and the first Arabic language edition. No, no, no. The first Arabic language edition that still lives uh, came from 1814. So still pretty old it was published by the east india company which you know if you watch the Caribbean, you have just like a really complicated relationship with yeah. how you feel about that and only because of that only because of that i mean if you've seen that you know everything there is to know about the east india trading company probably yeah. just oh, like yeah. if you've seen a oh movie about the world wars you know everything you need to know mm-hmm. i mean i've seen national treasure and the Da Vinci Code. So I think I got history on lock. Oh, yeah. World, U.S. history, done. Yeah. Yeah. Art history, nailed it. Oh, art history. <laughs> Cass, quit talking about National Treasure unless we're going to watch it and do a bonus episode. I'm just dangling it. this carrot over everybody. We owe it to the people. <laughs> we owe it to ourselves. I still haven't watched it. I'm holding out. <laughs> Okay, now that I'm less offended and I understand that the English ruined things. Yes. Um, it was the English. His name was Edward William Lane. It was notable for its exclusion of content that he personally found immoral. And he made a bunch of anthropological notes, which I think means that he was probably racist. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. just yeah. a pretty safe assumption, I would say. So I have a question. Is at this point in its lifespan, is 1001 Nights in the structure of, of like the setup of 1001 Nights? The, yes. Okay. Yes. That is the one thing. I mean, a lot of things are common between this entire parfait, but the one thing that is the most common is the, the frame story of Scheherazade. Which okay. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more juice on that. Yeah, in case in case people's in college case people theater program people are... <laughs> didn't do 1001 as a show and they had to read it too many times. It was just called 1001? Mm-hmm. I love that. I didn't know this. Well, for I those of us that. who aren't familiar because of that. Well, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, well, so in 1885, so that was in 1838, 1840, when we had the, the Prude version come out. And then just shortly after that, Sir Richard Francis Burton published another English translation that was basically like, mm, let's add more sex. I want, I want more sex in it. And also, like, F you, Edward William Lane. So, and then the after that, version. wouldn't you know it, the French got reinvolved and the J.C. Margrew and Poe Mater added way more erotic material and it was very criticized for inaccuracy the um, french the french overheard the english being like well, let's like add a little bit more sex in this and they were like they were like oh, my, okay. hold my baguette <laughs> <laughs> no not that baguette oh wait a minute um this was actually the copy that there there is a copy of this set it, the eight eight um, book version of this set lives in my college, and there were a thousand copies ever made. And I was very excited. I like posted an Instagram picture of it in 2012. I was so excited. I was like, "You guys, we have the sexy this. copy." It's. I was very excited. They couldn't um, have printed a thousand and one. No. Like they couldn't have just printed one more. The the original draft was the the once. There it is. There the it once. is. <laughs> But that's that's the the parfait timeline. It's it it got by the time it was published in the 1800s, it had expanded to the 1,000 um, stories. The the editions from the Egyptian version and the editions from France, the editions from moving through history, got it all the way up to 1,001 stories. Um, but there's there's still a million different copies in print. So. So everybody has kind of their their own either favorite copy or favorite like canon and there isn't really a canon. So just like history. But so the story. Here we go. Are you ready? Let me let me let me tuck myself in. <laughs> Once upon a time in the magical faraway lands. There was a, a book that was mostly written in prose with some verse in songs and riddles. So, the initial frame story. I've been teasing at it. It is the story of Scheherazade. It's the story of King Shahriar, who had a... He is a king in... Um, well, depends on where the story... <laughs> who published it. Um, a king. Somewhere in a wonderful, magical place where he had lots of money and and power to do whatever he wanted, and nobody wanted to say no to this person. He was a king who was married to a wife 
who cheated on him. And he was so hurt about that that he had her killed. And then he basically made, he basically, instead of finding a therapist, said, okay, all <laughs> women are bad and I hate women. Checks out, checks so out, checks I out. should keep getting married to women immediately. It worked well for him. Um, he basically would have a new virgin to marry. Uh, he would marry them and then the next day kill them. And so after the wedding night, kill them because he didn't trust them. Um, I know. Sounds like a cry for help, Kate. <laughs> exactly. And I think people were like, oh, but he's the king. But sometimes kings need help, too. It was like yeah. a metaphorical cry for help while there was an actual literal cry for help going <laughs> yeah. on in the next room, which yep. was his wife that he murdered. So eventually he kind of started running out of local virgins <laughs> to marry somehow. I hate when that happens. Hate Virgin that shortage. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's people taken into their own hands or if just he just in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Seven minutes in heaven so that I don't have to go to heaven in seven minutes. Uh-huh. Because I know. Hey. Nailed it. <laughs> was that a limerick? Is that? No, not quite. That was an, that was an ancient Arabic limerick. Wow. Mm-hmm. It, the tra- it's not as, as poetic translation it's translated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as in most things, uh, English ruins, the translation into English ruins it. I still thought it was magical. Oh my God, thank you. The... <laughs> but so as they start kind of running out of virgins... The vizier's daughter, Scheherazade, or Scheherazade, or Zadeh, depending on who you ask, decides to volunteer. And the vizier's like, uh, no, don't do that. And she's like, well, I'm a virgin, and I'm smart as farts. Um, (laughs) She Katniss Everdeen's that. She's like, I volunteer as tribute? I got this. I got this, ladies. Don't worry. Stop. Don't don't worry. Get out of that closet. You don't, not him, you. Uh, (laughs) So she was looking out for everyone. Um, but basically, the story is she marries him, and before they go to sleep, she's like, I want to tell you a story. She starts telling him this amazing story, and then right at the height of the action of the story, she says, oh, I'm very tired now, so I'm just going to go to bed, but I'll, I'll see you. And he's like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean you're going to bed right now? I want to know what happens. And she's like, oh too sleepy so he woke up the next morning and was like well i have to know what happens i can't kill her so then she sticks around and she keeps doing that over and over and over again for 1001 nights until he falls in love with her and the end but there's there's different um versions that say some nights it's because he at the end he looks up and sees the children that they have together and he's like oh we did that look at our kids and some stories end with Scheherazade being like, hey, so I told you a bunch of good stories. Do you think you could spare my life? And some stories end with them falling in love. I am a romantic, so I hope that they fit in love. But I also, I guess I have to think about that because I want Scheherazade to be happy. I don't want it to just be a one-sided thing, obviously. I also like don't want her to like exist in this world where she's like, feels like she's constantly like needs to perform in order to stay alive i don't want it to be like beauty and the beast she fell in love but is it really love (sighs) and then he like transforms into like a weird looking dude and he was hotter Mm -hmm. as a beast for real though (laughs) everyone knows it and i know we're all talking about it but like can we just get it out there beast is hotter than it was the weird i don't know 90s early 2000s moment where they were like we want all Bo- like men and young boys to have yeah. the 
the John haircut from Pocahontas. Also, like, was he supposed to be 25 or was he supposed to be 16? That like, it just it's doesn't add up. Nothing there adds up because add up. Beast was definitely like 42. We all know he's like late 30s. Beast early. was daddy. He, Beast was daddy. <laughs> Human Beast, whatever his name was, just like this weird, like, I don't know. But it's not about it's that. It's not about him. <laughs> what it's about. But I'm glad that we brought it's it about, up. Sorry, I just want to go back to the, like, he looks up and is like, oh, my God, we made children together. 1,001 nights is two years, eight months, three weeks, six days, 11 hours, 33 minutes, and 20 seconds. I didn't need that much information, but when I Googled 1,001 <laughs> nights, it gave me the full breakdown. Wait, is that 1,001 days or a thousand and one like eight hour one thousand and one days to years well okay because because at night and then the next day he's got to like decide like oh i'm not gonna kill her so i'm gonna wait mm-hmm. for the story in the next so a thousand one night days day nights night day, yeah day, day every night. single day for over two and a half years he's like Maybe I shouldn't kill. Oh, I just need one more story. Like, I could see that being a believable, like, oh, and she did this for a week or like even a month. And then they realize (laughs) maybe we should stop killing everyone. They reach for the same book in the enchanted library that he built for her. (laughs) But no, two years. And he's still, he's still like, oh damn i was gonna kill her but that it's because they didn't have a magic teapot to sing to them that would have that would have you know what and that's angela lansbury would have fixed this. <laughs> she would have fixed this it's because she wasn't alive yet gosh or it. she would have written it into a murder mystery novel good old catacomb one of the two one of the one two, of the two. One but of yeah them. no that just like the frame narrative is literally we need an excuse to keep telling these stories. Oh, like she's... But for two years? Make up your mind, King. <laughs> he, did, he did. Eventually. It took him long enough. Talk about commitment <laughs> issues. Talk about commitment <laughs> right? issues. People have... There's um, historians with opinions who... Who, <laughs> who have, have like hot takes that are like, well, some of these stories aren't really a an actual cliffhanger like i don't know if i would pause the murder of my wife for this story like (gasps) this is like the claim that they have to support also that's forever going to be like how i review books um i would not kill my wife for this but like i guess it's got something to it (laughs) yeah like i kind of knew where it was going you know when people are like, oh, I just couldn't put it down. You're like, oh, I couldn't kill my wife because of it. I like, I, I was gonna, but I'm like, no, I gotta keep her alive. I stayed the blade for this book. <laughs> stayed the blade. I love that. Ooh. I want that on a bookmark. <laughs> but it only belongs oh. in your copy of 1001 Nights. Yeah, obviously. We need to make those snacks. Merch. <laughs> She's writing it down. It's a magical thing. All like the stories she tells, there there are love stories and tragedies. Some of them are poems. Some of them are burlesques and very sexy, and and various forms of erotica. There's history. There's like she tells all kinds of things, which is why the the variety of 
tales in the in the book are so infinite um but it's it's also the very much the the painting picture of what everyone thinks of when they think of arabian nights it tells stories about genies and magicians and sorcerers and legendary castles and caves and amazing things that are also magically intermingled with real life geography and it's magical and it really set the stage for how people think about arabic culture in general but still think about that this came from india and this came from persia and this came from west asia and this came from north africa and it's like all of these things came together to to make a beautiful braid of in that sense it really nights. is like a perfect story for like representing the sense that it has all of those influences and it is like a mosaic of all of these cultures just exactly like the quote-unquote arab world itself <laughs> the more you know da, 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 da. <laughs> well and what's interesting about that and this should pivot nicely into in, into cast probably is don't pivot it into is me please like, <laughs> it, sorry you'll buy it it is it is like it did introduce so many people to this culture and is the re is like responsible for what a lot of people think arabic culture is mm -hmm. because of some like mainstream adaptations oui. uh and also for, for the good and the bad yeah like <laughs> like it's... that that this is kind of a singular idea of arabian nights representing all of these cultures says something about how we think about other cultures outside of western culture like oh yeah everything is one thing yeah everything is this one sequence from a movie i saw when i was mm -hmm. seven is it prince of egypt was that the movie oh my god can we just can we just a moment of appreciation can we just oh my god listeners just give us a second <laughs> that was your sexual awakening zippera or <laughs> moses when he took off his wig yes Poe? both was it figuring was out it... that jeff goldblum <laughs> was it when ramses was on the and Carry you saw, it, you saw his butt flapping, his little skirt popped up. Weirdly Maybe. enough, it was Hotep and Hoy for me. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh. By the power of Steve Martin's Rob. voice gets me real spicy. <laughs> oh, man. Steve Martin's voice right. does get me spicy. But do you know what else gets and me spicy? Martin shorts. Referentials <laughs> and adaptations of things. Oh, my gosh. How convenient. But How convenient that we would give this third section to the resident pop culture lord. Lord of Ooh. the pop culture. Pop Good off, Cass. Pop off. Well, I feel like in true Cass fashion, I saw shiny objects and got distracted. Because <laughs> there are so many adaptations, interpretations, offshoots, like that spring from 1001 Nights. I, of course, saw a connection to Oh, oh gosh. Oh gosh, oh gosh darn. Uh, so there was a technical kerfuffle and uh, we're still we're still here and you're still listening. This is still shared history, but this bit was recorded later. Cass. Tara and Natalie, one week older. Yes, one week and older. wiser. And wiser, yes. Older, wiser, still bringing you this story. Just wanted to give you a heads up. 
that um, if things feel like they're happening out of time, they they are. Um, (laughs) Technology is difficult sometimes. Um, I would also like to state for the record that we did nothing wrong and it wasn't our fault. Here we are. (laughs) But where we left off last time, I was dangling a juicy little carrot and I literally was like, and that thing is... And, and then the recording cut out. So this little thing that I, I, my shiny object is that 1001 Nights is a frame narrative. So the breakdown of the story, Shahrazad's going to be killed. If, and she's like, I'm going to tell you a story. And then she starts telling stories within the story, which was a technique used to like, compile stories and it was like you add your story you add your story uh this kind of like started in india and then it spread into persia and then it spread into like northern africa and all these stories started to be compiled and by the time it got to europe there were only like 300 stories or something and then the frame narrative which was kind of created in persia in that area got pulled right from the source in the pages and the Canterbury Tales and Boccaccio's Decameron lifted and used the frame narrative and they're like whoa that's like really smart Let's we like that. that idea oh this we allows like us that. this allows us to tell like a bunch of stories yeah that maybe we don't we don't want to like write up 300 pages on but like I don't want to do like serial like I don't want to no. write like a hundred short stories and publish them separately i'm just gonna do them all in one very convenient also a very a very popular technique in musicals very popular technique for like broadway reviews Mm -hmm. if you will Mm -hmm. putting it together by stephen de sondheim (laughs) sometimes just (laughs) sorry is it a hard age stephen sondheim is a bunch of stephen sondheim's like some great songs of his from oh, I thought he was Stephen. Stephen Sondheim. Stephen Sondheim. Uh, Into the, the Woods is is a frame narrative. Literally opens with a narrator. Into the Woods is a frame... Hold on. Wait, are you serious right now? Yes. Natalie, are has, you messing with me? No, because it has its own... St- I, Into I the Woods is a frame narrative. I don't know if narrative. it's a frame narrative. It, it, it's, it's telling, it's telling its own story. It's not a story but telling so, stories. But... But it's, I think it's just a narrative. Is a frame narrative anytime there's a story with like stories within the story? Because Into the Woods does tell kind of an abridged version of those fairy tales. Well, I within... guess sub- subplots are not frame narratives per se. Yeah. Maybe it's not a frame narrative. They well, are on well, a proscenium stage, which is within the frame. There's a wolf. It's there. Physically a frame. Sometimes Guys, a basket. Fine. I will call. It's not about. I will call Stephen Sandheim and I will ask him if he would consider. Stephen. <laughs> oh, you have his number. I do. Yeah. Of course. I, I have some notes for him to, if you could just send. <laughs> he's going to have to step in and correct. And then I'll have some notes for him about how he, there's some really good musical songs that he's written that are in some really subpar musicals that I. Mm. Um, that actually, that I only know because mm. of their use in Broadway reviews, aka frame narratives. So I'm going to say something really quick, and then we're going to move on and never address it ever again. Okay? Is it controversial? 
I don't like Sondheim. Okay. <gasps> so basically what I was supposed to do was talk about <laughs> adaptations. Natalie is losing her head. I'm just going to keep on talking. I'm scared. I'm so glad there was a screen between us. <laughs> oh, boy. I just like, I just... I'm going to say something real talking, quick. And all of his things are like this. It's I'm, like a nerdy musical slam poem. But I'm going to say something real quick. And this is these are the two reasons why it surprises me that you feel that way. One, I feel like you would like you like a good patter song because. Oh, you, I love a patter song when it's pattered and sprinkled in. Not when every song you do is a The other song. thing that surprises me is that. I know that you like a fugue, because who doesn't like a fugue? I love a fugue when it's sprinkled in, not when it's every fucking song. The other thing that surprises me is you love when people are assassins. I genuinely love it. <laughs> I have not, you know what, and I've not listened to assassins. And one of my friends, it's his favorite Sondheim musical. Oh, that's like. a big claim. But I was like, I don't, I wouldn't go that far. I did try to create a special topics class in my senior year of high school where I would have been studying just with uh, one U.S. history teacher that would have been focused on just assassins. But then mm-hmm. he was busy, so I just TA'd for him. Yeah, that checks out. That mm-hmm. checks Very out. Cool. Teacher, uh, drink. Wait, what's the teacher's teacher, name? Drink. Quick. Mr. Bashansky. Everyone, everyone have a drink. There it is. There it is. Um, it's not about him. It's, it's not, not about, about him. Sondheim. It's not about Steppen. It's about <laughs> One Thousand and One Nights, <clears throat> and a superior narrative. All a superior it. narrative, an older narrative, and it's it's in that the golden age of Persia and the Middle East and all of these. Uh, like they were scientists, they were mathematicians, astrologers, poets, writers. Like all of the greatest minds and greatest things were being created and built in this area. And then we always talk about in the Middle Ages in Europe, it's just like, oh, I'm laying in poop and like <laughs> have four teeth and don't read good, like at all. Honestly, hard relate. Hard relate. <laughs> but oh, please floss. This this these ideas were just spreading and by the time they got to Europe, it was like, oh cool. That's frame narrative. Look at that. Which We're is We're gonna take that as our own and move forward. Which it's it's something that's so like in in literature, it's so basic, you know? It's like a very like this is one way of telling a story. Like it's almost a basic like I genuinely principle is not the right word, but like almost a uh, simple concept because it's so old and has been used for so long. And when you think about it, like for the first time ever happening all the way back when, that's fucking genius, you know? I also genuinely didn't know the name for it until now. Well, not now, a, a week ago. But yeah, your youthful self. Yes, but na- make believe now. I like didn't know the name and I wasn't. I was an English major. <laughs> frame story or frame major. narrative. And yeah, and that's like the the term. People end up just saying story within a story. But it's an actual like technique. And it was originated with this. Like, good for you. Awesome. Dope. I'm here <laughs> to talk about adaptations, though. And, and Canterbury Tales and Decameron are not adaptations, but... This is a, like, a 
not even a nod. They weren't nodding to the Raven Knights. They were just like, we're going to steal this We love story style. I do want to say, just because I know you're a big nerd, and for our listeners who maybe yeah. don't know those two famous works. Oh, I was about to go into it. Got it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I realized, like, my brain clicked on. I was like, oh, I'm, I should probably explain what the fuck I'm talking about. But Stephen Sondheim got brought up, and, like, we got distracted. <laughs> Things okay? got fiery. We got, you know, just into the woods in that one. We chose violins. <laughs> we chose violins. So frame story, frame narrative is story within a story. Scheherazade, the story of Arabian Nights is this sultan is going to kill all these virgins. That's the story. The frame, or that's the frame. And then Scheherazade is like, hey, I'll tell you a story to keep myself alive, to stay the blade. And then... Now I have, like, an excuse to tell a thousand and one stories. Canterbury yes. Tales, um, which was written, well, it wasn't written and it was probably published because I think it took him, like, ten years to write it. And it wasn't finished. In 1392 CE, it was about a group of pilgrims traveling to Canterbury to a, like, to a shrine. And so all of these people were traveling together and then... There was 10 of them, and then each night, someone was going to tell to... Oh, shit, Natalie, check my math. I've not read Canterbury Tales. 10 stories, so that there were 100 stories. The Decameron? Canterbury. Oh, that's Decameron. Decameron. Shoot, cast. Back it up. (laughs) Except technically, Decameron was written first. Anyway, Canterbury Tales. Everyone's like, hey, I'll tell a story, because we're on this really long road trip, and every night, everyone will tell a different story. So you get all these stories, you get funny stories, you get sad stories. A lot of them are like, a lot of like sexual innuendos and and funny pervy stuff going on, which that was happening in Thousand and One Nights too. Um, (laughs) And then that was never finished. So it was supposed to be a certain amount of stories, but it never, like they never made it. They never got to. Canterbury's Tales was supposed to be a super... Certain number of tales. Yeah, okay. I believe that it was. There not are twenty four stories in it. Yeah. Okay. Um, we hate the number twenty four, so that's stupid. why it wasn't finished. Yeah, yeah. we hate Gross. that. Stupid. Gross. Stupid Kiefer Sutherland. Yeah. Um, I like your then... dad more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just starting fights that I, I can't do. Finish. I do. Donald Sutherland. Kiefer. Nah. Kiefer like, Sutherland's all... great, but Donald Sutherland is a goddamn He's treasure. A fucking. <laughs> treasure you took the word right out of my mouth maryland you know Ra- what rice cub though you know what she's a treasure what's that oh, maryland rice it. cub mm-hmm. yeah we love her but donald sutherland <laughs> he's he's fine freaked out insecure neurotic and from from italian job Ugh. yeah and this I can isn't never remember about Italian. This isn't so. about, this is, see, these are Unless you can explain to me, can you explain to me that Italian job is a frame narrative and then it's relevant? But otherwise, <laughs> um, it's not relevant. Boccaccio, the Italian writer, wrote the Decameron wow. in ni- 1351. So the, Decamer- the Decameron was the original Italian job. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yes. This is what happens when we have technical difficulties and have to re-record things. Just, <laughs> just non bit, bit bloat. A lot of bit bloat going on. Uh, the Decameron was the story of the frame of the Decameron is that 
the plague is going on. Super fun. It's like it's like seven women and four men or something, and they go to stay in this like this castle away from all the icky plaguey peasants. Yeah. And each person <laughs> this is the math. Yes. Each person tells ten stories and then that's and then each like a night and then they get to a hundred stories. This is how we're gonna pass the time so we don't die of, you know, boils and syphilis and bullshit. Cass. What? What? This podcast, the last three seasons of this podcast have been our Decameron. Because we've been telling each other and our listeners stories hiding away from the plague. <laughs> from boils and syphilis. Boils and syphilis. <laughs> I don't know where syphilis came from. But... We can't We can't end this podcast because if we do, we'll get boils and syphilis. <laughs> syphilis came from... Wow. What a, what a beautiful little, like... <laughs> Wow. Wow. Anyway, so those are not adaptations of those Arabian Nights. Those are just Nights. other fine examples of frame narratives. Of frame narratives. But that storytelling technique was pulled from Arabian Nights. It Once totally it makes brought- sense because it's just like, it's, especially from the beginning of it, it's like your people are not necessarily literate everywhere. And like yeah. the the way that stories are told are all like speaking like exactly like the decameron was yeah it was all people oral tradition that kind of thing but yeah and a lot of these stories were like in italian like commedia dell'arte and whatnot (laughs) i'm just dropping some like fancy theater terms um but there were a lot of like stock characters like the the miser the busty bra the pervy (laughs) old man like like those were stock characters just naming all of my (laughs) casting <laughs> uh <clears throat> so some of the stories written in the Canterbury Tales and in the Decameron were I wouldn't say like alt tales, but some of they were so inappropriate, you guys. Like there were some dirty, dirty stories in there. Um and so it was almost just like, so this guy walks into a bar. Oh yeah, I've heard that one. So yes, they were kind of like all these fun little parable stories that people might have had a version of or no thrown in here. So yeah, suck it, Boccaccio and Chaucer. Just another example of great things coming because of people of color. <laughs> what? Yep. What? Yep. What? No, what? Culture coming and uh, Western colonialism fucking it up. <laughs> but so Guyand, uh, Antoine, am I saying that right? Antoine Guyand. Guyand. Um... <laughs> I just assume at the end of every French word, I'm supposed to throw like a or a. At the mm-hmm. end. That is, it's um, French culture. Thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> he like it's called the Guyand manuscript or the Syrian text, and that was like his first translated version or the first Western translated version of A Thousand and One Nights in 1704. And there weren't a thousand and one stories, and then he added a bunch of them in. And then people in, like, Western culture started adding a bunch in. But, like, Aladdin and Sinbad, the pirate, and the 40 thieves were not originally in. Those were added by Gayand. But those are some of the adaptations that we know the best. Like, Disney Aladdin. Or, I think there was, like, a made-for-TV movie one. I think of A Thousand and One Nights, when I, like, in the 90s when I was a kid. Oh, yes. Oh my oh, gosh. There were so many like strange B animator 
groups that did like there was a um 40 thieves animation there was a another aladdin that was not disney's aladdin aladdin no there was like a live action i'm pretty sure remember when made for tv movies were like a thing all the time pretty sure there was one with like really shitty cgi carpet bullshit i need to figure out what that was but adaptations a plenty from arabian nights Alfred Lord Tennyson had a poem called Recollection of Arabian Nights. Edgar Allan Poe had Thousand and Second Night. Um, I know. Uh, How did I not know Ar- that Poe? That yeah. just the concept of that Poe sounds. Knowing that it's a Poe and knowing that it's a, the Thousand and Second Night immediately makes me go like, Oh, oh no. I see. Oh, I see what you're doing, Edgar. <laughs> oh, Edgar. Um. Tara loved the Rimsky uh, Korsakov Scheherazade. Very Is it a much. symphony? It's a symphonic suite because <laughs> yeah. it's uh, just like the One Thousand and One Nights. It's got a lot of stories musically. <laughs> That's great. There was a ballet by um, Fikret um, Amirov, and of course I, would I can't love read my to hand see right. One Thousand One done as a ballet. Yeah, like you know what Tchaikovsky Nutcracker Suite Nutcracker is kind of a frame story, if you think about it. Like, they're meeting all of the new characters, and it's like, or the ballet, at least. Yeah. I see it. I'm making (laughs) connections now. I'm making, I'm drawing. I'll allow it. From thing. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, There is a ballet version of Scheherazade from Rimsky-Korsakov from the Russians. Oh, is there? Thank you. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) I'm gonna Um, look for it for parts of it on youtube cass cass they did it hmm? did wait what now they did it they, they finally did it greatest store in the universe who Raygun. they did it they're the greatest store in the universe oh says who says Raygun. oh okay i'll buy it you know what else you can buy clothing home goods and time travel supplies at raygunsite.com or at any of their six stores Exactly. Use promo code SHARIALATER to save on your next order. That's raygunsite.com, promo code SHARIALATER, all one word. There's there's so many, like, obviously, like, movies, books, ballets, all that stuff adapted from the stories. You know, we're just going to take one story and make a movie about it. But there's also so much... So many little elements pulled, like the concept of like the magic carpet that has been used in like a lot of like Western animation now too, but like the... Yeah, that's just like a thing that we all know just what thing. it is. Yes. Like when we think of fairy tales, we think of like typical, you know, like fairies, uh, you know, monsters and whatnot. And we think of like genies and magic carpets and that's not like arabian fairy tale like those are just staples in our western culture now because they've been so integrated into and to our storytelling in art it's just like this fun concept that everyone was like oh we're gonna take that now and so it was pulled directly from this and there's kind of been like a resurgence lately for sure of kind of telling more of those Middle Eastern, those Persian stories. Uh, there's there's a book called The City of Brass, which is, it's like a, a, a series. And it's all about like 
genies and folktale, fairy tale kind of characters um, from Persian culture and literary tradition. We're seeing a lot more, I think, stories being told about it and not from like the white person's perspective or Western perspective of just people from these cultures writing their stories in a mainstream way and being like, this is just a story that we're not told a lot in Western culture. Let's fucking tell it because it's a good story. Uh, this is another one that is just weird, but I have to mention. L. Ron Hubbard wrote... No. <laughs> ...science fantasy novel called Slaves of Sleep, which is like he uses Ifrits, which are like an Islamic, Islamic mythological being that was just like in my list of like works and things influenced like l ron hubbard showed up on that and i'm like come on bro stop, stop being weird weird stop dude. being creepy with your science scientology um ifrits are also used in tabletop rpgs and things like this mm-hmm. um oh they are just, oh yep. yes dungeons and dragons they're, they they're spoopy they're spoopy demons and we love a spoopy demon well and gaming anymore is so much about storytelling but there's a whole list of just like games that have been influenced by um oh, yeah. the arabian nights like there's pinball machines there's rpg <laughs> games there's board prince games of persia. there's yes prince of persia like all My high school cool. prom's theme was Moroccan the dance floor. Guess how many Moroccans were there? Me. Um. <laughs> I was like, at least one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Tell I mean, them I love... respect the pun, but also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was Arizona. Oh, Arizona. <laughs> We've got work to do. Uh, <laughs> we There's such a cool um, like appreciation of all of this super diverse kind of Arabic culture, but looking at how, again, how everything came together from Persia and India and like Western Asia and North Africa. And you know, like none of that is a one monosyllabic, monosyllabic, monolithic culture. And just the, that people are starting to get, um, like find things like Ifrits and like, be like, this is, this is something that I found that like, we're, we're bringing specifics from the culture, not just being like, oh, lanterns and rugs are Arabic. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it goes back to, like, what we were talking about at the at the kind of the beginning of this episode of just, like, the quote-unquote, like, Arab region is expansive, covers a lot of different cultures, a lot of, a lot of lore, a lot of language, like, or not a lot of language because that is like the one thing <laughs> it's the one rule and i, I, I mean, there's there's arabic and there's persian and there's and if you go far back enough you've got like the different languages of india of which there are so many yeah. like yeah but just like that idea of like w- like the quote-unquote arab world being yeah. not one culture not one thing and that's like to the to the great benefit of arabian nights specifically that it that it the stories come from all over and yes some of them are like being told like fourth hand by what like a german or no we're in france by a french by a french guy we're in france <laughs> uh, i was like i forgot all the dirty sex stuff we're in france uh, <laughs> england said no sex stuff france said no. yes yes <laughs> like but we just we've got to add a little bit of spice Ooh. uh that that's just like 
to the benefit of the story that all of these all of these different cultures and voices and and stories are represented and then mm. that the french were like <laughs> give us more but, but sexier she boobied boobily down the stairs <laughs> uh-huh. i'm going to be using boobily as a verb and an adjective always now thank you um, michael boobily michael boobily <laughs> spokesperson for boobily uh the there's a i love a good i love a small subreddit shout out on here uh because i think i've talked i think i've talked before about this the subreddit of uh witches versus a patriarchy which is chef's kiss and then (laughs) which is and then there's uh there's uh the a subreddit called men writing women which is fantastic so amazing uh and i i've actually we i i actually have posted on there based on things that we've like talked about to to tie this episode into the frame narrative of this season of shared history we started this season with an episode which we aptly titled ladies got plans about uh about uh lady true and jessica bejarano and another like another being that was that i mean this is a person who existed who was then mythologized but you know who else has plans shahrazad there it is there it is <laughs> and planning right and that and and she got plans and her plans are to stay the blade and mm-hmm. we just i love that we're, we 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 started the season with some strong and impactful women who we know did exist and now here we are with a story of a character do we know like is there anyone who's like shahrazad is based on a real person is there like that we talked about um natalie you talked about not realism um i don't know what i talked about that was two weeks ago um well you talked about this guy who was going through um trying to figure out like oh the... al jahiz yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the um rationalism rationalism natalie you talked about rationalism a little bit earlier where i think people did try to find the sources of these stories because a lot of them were based in truth some of them are based in like cultural stories and myths and that kind of thing but they're they're using what they know around them they're using Mm -hmm. their locations and they're using their um like animals and things like that there is a lot of superstition in arabic culture and magically beautiful places that would make you think maybe there is a genie in this gorgeous land and i think there's a lot of truth in the stories but again they're also things that are just passed on forever and ever and i don't think that there has been any like any one source pinpointed that a this is where it began and b this is who shahrazad was well because even like with the with al jahiz like investigation into the source of of some of these stories i don't i didn't find anything about the potential source of shahrazad so but it would be it would be interesting and well and it's even i mean to tie it again back to our first episode of the season i'm really trying to make this frame narrative happen Beautiful. for this it's season happening. uh for lady true they're like we we know this because of the stories that were told, but the historical record was largely written down and taken down by the people in power who did not want 
to admit that a sure. battalion led by a young woman, a quote unquote ordinary young woman, was the bane of their existence as they were trying to uh, to overtake Vietnam. So they, so in that case, that's why they described her as being this like larger than life, out of this world. <clears throat> extraordinary human boobily woman very boobily mm-hmm. woman boobly, boobly. meter long boobs hey you know what a re- descriptor what she a way she breasted like... boobily down the stairs <laughs> she did she breasted she boobily on her them. horse <laughs> she breasted boobily into battle and that was that was her prerogative yeah ladies got plans ladies ladies be plan got it. ladies be planning to stay the blade Oh! Natalie just dabbed. If anybody at home is wondering, <laughs> if anyone at home needed another reason to not respect me as a human being, <laughs> I just—at least I did the dab instead of my instead of what I, what I do to my husband, which is just say the word dab. After, <laughs> after, I, just, I just say something like that that like a teenager would dab after, and then I just go heh, dab. <laughs> that heh part. <laughs> I think what this tells us is that you have a healthy relationship with your inner child, and that's something that we should respect. Okay, I mean, and your husband. <laughs> <laughs> calling calling into this uh, recording session, uh, wearing overalls like I do, my signature overalls and curly mop top. I'm happy to be a child. Overall, <laughs> I think it works great for you. <laughs> Dab. Dab. <laughs> you know, podcasting is a visual medium, so we have to tell you that we dab. That's, yeah, that's why you say dab. <laughs> you say it. Um, Cass, I was, is it sad that I want to be like, I know, I knew you were going to detour about the Canter- about the Canterbury Tales, about the Decameron, <laughs> and about frame narrative, and I still was like, yes, tell me more, you big freaking nerd. I just, I look, the whole, like, the whole basis of this story, at least studying the history of this, of, a, of Arabian Nights, Thousand One Nights, is, like, it's progression. Like, it started in some form, for, like, or the, at least the idea of frame narrative from an Indian text, and then it was pulled from Northern Africa, Southeast Asia, uh, Persia, all of these different places, and compiled, but also spread and then and then that idea of the frame narrative then went west and i don't know i i love the this whole story is a journey literally and figuratively following the kind of trail of where the story started how and where they all kind of came from and that its scope is fucking huge yeah, yeah. Well, and it's reach of just like who knows it and why they know it. Like everyone knows a piece of this story. Like even if they don't realize it's like a thousand and one nights, there's it's touched so many things. It's part of yeah. every culture. Yeah, yeah, it truly is. And and it's so it's always so impressive when a piece of art can do that. And it's important. It's fun to like let people know, give them the scoop of like, hey, this thing that you love. Like, oh, Aladdin's your favorite Disney movie. <laughs> Well, actually, well, actually, it's Aladdin, and actually, actually, um, um, he's his uncle's Moroccan, actually, in the original story. So, so. that's what we're that's what we're here for. We're just here to equip you <laughs> with the skills to um, actually, all of your friends and family, 
Go and out then, there. Eh, dab them. And then eh, dab on them. <laughs> Go out there. Be obnoxious in your fortitude of, of history, knowledge, and and understanding of where stories come from. There's enough mediocre white men well actually everyone, so we want you to um actually everyone <laughs> and pass the knowledge on. We want you to share some history. Oh, there it is. <laughs> At there it is. At dab. <laughs> And uh, Tara, thank you for thank you for bringing like I thank you for suggesting this as a topic because I don't know that I I know that my brain would have I have a hard time being like oh I can share the history of a story like that that is a thing that I can do and so I'm glad that you I'm glad that you were excited about the topic and that you brought it to us and that we it got to like been go dream. on our I mean, even even having to record a second time is a double treat because I it means I get to hang out with both of you a little bit longer. So maybe maybe I did it on purpose just so I could hang out with you guys. Maybe I was the little internet gremlin. You're the gremlins all along. The gremlin was inside of her. Yes, you just wanted this night to keep going. You did. Tara found out that we were gonna kill her once the episode. Was finished. Ah, delete, 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 delete. <laughs> so I'm hacking like, in. <laughs> oh man! Wait, did you fall in love with me? Come on, please, come on. Tara. Not yet. Maybe tomorrow. Okay. Wait, we have seven Tara. children together. In <laughs> two <100? years. laughs> I can't fall in love with you. I'm already at the bottom of the pit of in love with you. Oh, I have. No. There's no more more. To, there's no more distance to fall. Tara and I are going to get a room after this. Oh. <laughs> a Zoom room. Sorry, that's in the that's in the French version. That only happens in the French version. Um, Tara, uh, can people find you on the internet anywhere, or like oh, sure. watch your your amazing comedy and see you being a wonderful human specimen whom we know and love? Tell us oh. how they can do that. Well, you can catch me at CSCN on Twitch TV slash CSCN, right? I think it's CSN CSN Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I have an Instagram. It's not too exciting. It's just me posting pictures of flowers and my cat and any dog that I see. The kind of content of that I crave. And that is um, why I engage with you on that platform a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a fun old place. Um, and that's Tara.Egan. But otherwise, I don't know. Catch me on the streets, man. Maybe I'll see you around. <laughs> just shout... <laughs> Shout some fun facts at me when you see me on yeah, the streets. I might respect. I might run so. away. It depends on <laughs> what's the vibe, but like, yeah, unless you're <laughs> unless you're a cat or a flower, then she will engage. Yeah, true. Um, if you're a pretty flower or a cat, that's how you get that's how you get Tara's attention. So everyone, work on that. Uh, you can, as always, you can find us on the social meds at Shared Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us any questions, corrections, or suggestions. We're about to go on a hiatus. If you want to get those suggestions in there for us to 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 use as fodder for next season, suggestions of guests for next season, send them our way. You can email all of those goodies to sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Cassin, am I am I missing anything? You're missing no things. You have all the things you need inside of you, and then you have just expelled them into the microphone for the world to hear. Well, I might be—I might not be missing anything, but listeners, we hope you miss us, but not too much. 
because we'll be back very soon until season motherfucking five. Ah, damn. Share you later. Special thanks for this episode go to Sarah Cruz for the show art, Garrett Spin for original music, The Bandit Trico for social animations, and Kasmar for a magnificent edit. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.